Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm Glossy Senior Reporter Hilary Milnes, and with me this week is Mariah Chase, the CEO of Eloquy. Thank you for joining us, Mariah. Thanks for having me, Hilary. So tell me a little bit about Eloquy uh, and its background coming from The Limited. Um, I think it's a really interesting background story. You guys are basically rallied back into life by your customers. That's exactly right. (laughs) So we were... Originally part of the Limited, the Limited started Eloquy as a sister brand in late 2011 to address customers who had lapsed out of the Limited's core size offering. And Eloquy was run and operational for about 18 months, at which point uh, the Limited decided to shut it down, mm-hmm. um, which we now look back on as a great move. <laughs> We're now very happy that you're, the limited free. Yeah, that the limited <laughs> shut it down. But at that point in time, um, the customers really rallied online and on social media and sort of said, hey, we have so few options to begin with. How dare you take away one of our favorites? Mm-hmm. And the team, several of the key team members, including our chief merchant, our creative director, our COO, our head of our VP of technical design, which is the fit of the clothing, uh, were really passionate about the customer, passionate about the business, and they recognized a lot of what they had done wrong or what the bigger opportunity was, or the bigger they thought that the bigger opportunity was, which is really around fashion. And so Lo and behold, via a very strange twist of fate, uh, which we now, of course, think of as fate, our now chairman and founding investor had been, this was in late 2012, early 2013, had himself, completely unbeknownst to anyone at Eloquy, been looking to green up a digitally native plus size vertical brand. Oh, He diligenced the space and he said, well, there's really not a lot going on here. Mm-hmm. And Eloquy looks, Eloquy by the Limited looks like it's sort of the only thing going on. Mm-hmm. And he reached out on LinkedIn, completely cold call uh, to our creative director, Jody, and said, I'm thinking of greening up this business. It seems like you're talented. Would you ever consider leaving and coming to join me? And where was she at the time? She was she was at she was the creative director for Eloquy by the Limited. Oh, okay. So he was reaching out to try oh. to poach her a little, <laughs> little sneaky action there. Um and she said, well, hi. Funny enough, we're being shut down, but it hasn't been announced yet. And my colleagues and I are really passionate about this customer, and we think there's actually a bigger opportunity here. Maybe there's another way this could go down. Right. And that coupled with when it was actually announced to the customers that the brand was shutting down and they sort of freaked out, right. rightfully so, turned into what was a, an acquisition by our chairman to buy the assets from the limited. And that happened in summer, fall of 2013. Mm-hmm. And then we went dark, right? So if you went to eloquy.com and had this big like sad face and said, <laughs> sorry, we're closed. Uh, and we relaunched the business in February of 2014. So we're coming up on three and a half years with really an eye towards being much faster mm-hmm. from a life cycle perspective. Uh, because the team, I think rightfully so, said if you've got a long product life cycle and you're not in luxury, you're you're going to become relatively obsolete. And then 
by far and away the, the biggest, uh, I think, sort of pivot that we made with with Eloquy 2.0, as we call it, is fashion. Mm-hmm. Really being fashion first. Trend, trend-driven fashion. Exactly. So when... So when this was sort of reborn, what assets were there? So did, how much like um, you know access to customer data did you have? What were you going off of other than the the existing brand name? So we had all we had the brand name, and some some early investors I remember would say, "Well, why did you keep that brand name? <laughs> like, how do you spell that?" I'm like, <laughs> "It's a good question." Uh, but it had brand equity. Yeah, you know, it had customers uh-huh. who who knew Allegri, so that's the reason that we kept it. Um, and sometimes it allows us to feel like we're European, like. Is it French? Is it Italian? We're not sure. <laughs> um, but the the assets, so it was all the intellectual property. It was the buyer file and the email list. Mm-hmm. And it was the historical data of the business uh, as well as um, some of the designs. You know, we had like a, a hard drive of all of the tech packs, which I don't I don't even know if we've, I don't think we've used. But the, we didn't really go deep into who are these customers in terms of when we were relaunching mm-hmm. Eloquy 2.0. Mm-hmm. It was more just can we can we get them back and can they become good customers right. in this new version of Eloquy. Right. And so then they did come back and yeah. it, and it's grown from there. Um, and so who's your customer today? What 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 um you know insight and information are you gathering about them? Yeah, I think I think it surprised us, quite frankly. Um, I think if you when we think about our customer and when Jody, our creative director, is designing and thinking about the, the visual aspects of the brand, uh, we're we oftentimes think maybe we're we're targeting a woman who is a millennial, mm-hmm. right? She's 28 to 35 and works and is relatively urban and savvy and fashion conscious and a professional. Um and make you know has disposable income, and when we actually take our customer database, which we did recently, and look at it on a more granular basis, what we find is that we actually have a really stronghold with Gen Xers, mm. us people my age, <laughs> um, and that surprised us. And uh-huh. I think though, so so we do very well. I mean, we luckily have great retention. You know, both with millennials and with Gen Xers. I think the balance, though, of of the customer base being nearly fifty percent Gen X, mm-hmm. really kind of blew our minds a little bit. But when you think about this market and the fact that it's so underserved, it actually makes a lot of sense, and right. that we are scooping up a lot of customers from many different demographics, psychographics, geographies, household income profiles. Um, Women who actually really don't care about fashion, but are professionals and like our our workwear. Whereas we also have customers who their their purchasing behavior is predicated on the amount of newness that mm-hmm. we deliver. So they always want to know what's new and next. So I think that the definitely the age range of the customers surprised us. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people will say, "Well, you guys must be huge in the Midwest." Interesting. Like, why do, why, they why do you say that? <laughs> like I don't I don't know why they say that, but that's just um, it's actually something investors will say. I bet you guys are crushing it in the Midwest. We're like, actually, New York's the number one market. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and we're the customer base at this point is relatively urban. She she basically follows the population dispersion that you see naturally in the United States. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so, 
can you just sort of describe the the retail industry landscape that you guys are, are competing in? There's Lane Bryant, like you mentioned, there's not a lot of competition, mm-hmm. but what is out there? Like, who, where else would your customers shop? So we always ask our customers when we talk to them, where else? Where else do you shop? And who's doing good stuff? What you know? What's missing from your closet? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, give us the lay of the land and. We, we oftentimes hear one of the big three department stores, so in Nordstrom, Lord & Taylor, or Macy's. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're younger, we sometimes hear Torrid. Mm-hmm. We oftentimes hear Old Navy for T-shirt and jeans, so kudos to Old Navy. You guys are doing a great job. You come up often. <laughs> um, sometimes we'll hear Lane Bryant, but not that often. Uh, sometimes we'll hear ASOS Curve. ASOS Curve does a yeah. great job. But then it starts to get into this long tail, right? Mm-hmm. Like those are those are... Maybe also if, if they're slightly older, um, a Land's End or a, a J. Jill or a Talbot's. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can see I'm really covering like a pretty broad swath right. of aesthetics and price points here. Yeah. And those are kind of the big names that we hear. And, and hopefully I'm not forgetting one that's... And, and Target, so Target uh-huh. also. Yeah. Um, but that's where it stops. Mm-hmm. And then you started to get into a long tail of maybe some smaller brands that a lot of people sometimes I don't even recognize. Right. So I think we're, I think the way that we think about it is that we're not so much competing with um, other players in the space. We're actually more trying to open up a market Mm -hmm. that hasn't existed in this way before. Right. I.e. a fashion market for this customer. Right. So from that perspective, we actually need other fashion brands to come into the space. Mm-hmm. And it, and that's because, you know, I feel like Lane Bryant has kind of, may, maybe too late, but they've kind of come into this recognition that these women aren't in transition. They're not, um, you know, just, just sort of not interested in what's trending because they're like waiting until they move down a size. It's, they're interested in the trends that are happening right now. And they're now, so like a player like Lane Bryant that's traditionally been very, you know, basic and like just mm-hmm. not not fashion driven is is not going to say like, oh yeah, like let's let's play in that space as well. And so, wh- why, why do you think it is it? So the, you mentioned ASOS and so that's a yeah. good example of like another fashion driven brand, but like even fast fashion, there's not really that much of a selection. Why do you think that fast fashion space that has, you know, moved so quickly and grown so much has sort of left this off the table? Well, I should mention that you H&M and Forever 21 mm-hmm. do play in the space. Mm-hmm. It's somewhat limited, um, and it's definitely not in every store. Right. Um, and we just, I, I think I forgot to mention them because we don't hear them often mentioned by our customers. Uh-huh. And I think the UK market actually does, the UK market fast fashion players actually are far more involved with this cust- in serving this customer than in the US market. And maybe... You know, there's a lag, and we'll see the U.S. market catch up. But if you look at the U.K., um, players like Boohoo, Evans, which is part of the Arcadia Group, mm-hmm. uh, River Island, uh, I believe Misguided, or I could be misspeaking, <laughs> uh, also do serve this customer. Uh-huh. I think the thing, though, that across the board, if you were to look at why there aren't more traditional players, whether they're fast fashion or slow fashion, mm-hmm. um, serving this customer is that, A, it requires a pretty significant additional investment mm-hmm. in that if you're going to get the fit right, which hopefully if you're in the business of selling clothing, you're you're, you're trying, trying to get to. the fit right, <laughs> whatever size you're producing, mm-hmm. you 
you really can't take a garment that's meant for sizes zero to 12 and then just scale it up. You actually have to fit it again, which means you're hiring another fit model. You're doing another tech pack. Mm -hmm. You're probably training your factories on that fit. Um, You probably want to shoot additional e-commerce assets. And then you think about the entire marketing picture that this, that all customers see and all of the different touch points, mm-hmm. social, your owned and your paid channels. So social media, email, your site, whether you're working in paid Facebook, paid search, podcasts, catalog, stores, whatever all of your different touch points with that customer are, now you've got to introduce an entirely new customer. Mm-hmm. And I think that brands get caught up in saying, I don't know how to do that. What do I, what marketing do I devote to whom and when? What does it look like? What does it say? Mm-hmm. Rather than, so they, they tend to make it an afterthought. Well, we'll just do a test in the corner of the store. Yeah. We'll give a few different racks. We'll definitely put it online. Everyone always says that they're going to put it online, right? Um, which is great because it's an endless aisle. So it's much more cost effective to do that. And I completely understand that. Um, but they make it this test and mm-hmm. they, I think have a harder, from, from my perspective, and I could be completely wrong, but they don't get really behind it and you've got to get behind it for people to come. Yeah. Or the customer's like, you don't really want me here. Right. Exactly. I'm going to go buy some lipstick. Right. So it's, it's kind of a self-generating, um, you know, result in that, oh, well, no one, no one's shopping this. So I would be invest more in it, but test you kind failed. Of, yeah, you kind of have to invest in it in order for people to want to shop it. And you've got to invest in it for the long term. Right. I mean, you've really got to say this is going to be a business that we are going to be in in the next 10 to 12. This is going to be a business that we're in forever mm-hmm. and we're partnering with this customer and we're going to figure it out no matter how many tries it takes, which in today's retail market is. Tricky. It's I, I I hear from retailers that they're very interested in getting into the space because they know it's a significant market and they want There's to money. grow. Yeah. There's money there, mm-hmm. right? But the the, the down executional, <laughs> the t- yeah, that's a great way of saying it. The down payment and then some of the laying the foundation of the house, yeah, um, becomes I think tricky for them. Mm-hmm. It does seem like people are, you know, there's there's more attention being paid to the space recently uh, for a variety of reasons. Thank um, goodness, right? Yeah, of high course. Time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very high time. And there's, you know, even more, we've spoken to um, on this show, uh, Nadia, the founder of DN Co., yeah. which is offering, you know, the plus size we sell stitch to them. fix. Yes. Yeah. So in, in, in other like brand partnerships that you guys have done, um, it, where do you think that's why do you think now, as opposed to to before? Why is why is more attention being paid now? I'd be interested to hear Nadia's answer. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll ask her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I think it's it's a confluence of reasons. I think without the digital medium um, and social media, this we wouldn't be having this conversation. The market wouldn't be getting the recognition right. uh, and attention that it has today because it's allowed this customer to have a voice and for that voice to be relatively viral and to form community within mm-hmm. 24 hours, 48 hours, mm-hmm. a week time. Whereas before, if this customer had a bad experience, which she generally did when she was shopping for clothing, um, 
who is she talking to about it? Right. right? She was going maybe her book club, uh-huh. right? But the the amount of virality and community and the chance to tell her story that many, many, like thousands and thousands of people could read. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we just, without without the digital medium and social media, we wouldn't, that wouldn't have happened. And, and then I think the other thing is that plus size for for the, for better or worse, I think oftentimes sits at this, it has socio-political undertones mm-hmm. because this customer has been treated poorly in many aspects. And so it sometimes feels like it sits at this intersection between anti-bullying and feminism. Right. And social media helps to explode that mm-hmm. a little bit. The empowering message yeah. of it. Um, I'm a customer and I matter too. Do you think? Do you see any sort of negative side effects of that that are happening, where brands are just kind of trying to? Is there a negative side effect where a brand might just be capitalizing on exactly what you just said the that that emotional um, tie that it that it has to it? Maybe. Right. <laughs> I mean, we see brands doing that everywhere. So why would this be any different? Uh, I will say that whatever who who would who am I to say what what works for other brands mm-hmm. if that works for them and that's getting them attention, uh, then that, that is what it is. Mm-hmm. I think for Eloquy, we, we actually believe in showing, not telling. And we're fashion brand that happens to start at a size 12, 14, mm-hmm. right? So we're not, we don't believe as a fashion brand, it's our place to confer or to tell our customer that her body is positive, right? Because we believe that our customer by the by virtue of having a body is positive period end of story yeah. and to us it feels like a slightly um not patriarchal it's the wrong it just feels like a mixed message to come from a fashion brand yeah i i totally agree and i think people in the same way you were just saying re- respond to that and, and speak out against that on on social media yeah um and and you guys um you know from my perspective i think a really powerful thing you guys do is the user generated content yeah, pool yeah xoq yeah so so tell us about that and how you sort of tied in around the site and you know when we speak about marketing and and you know just sort of like trying to appeal to this customer and the you know the intersectionality that that you were mentioning that like kind of puts weight on it like what what could be better than just saying here's how our, our customers wear the clothing like do you like it? Like, you know, that yeah. type of thing, that community. Yeah. I I mean, I have to tell you, Larry, when we, so we launched, so our, we have an Instagram hashtag called XOQ, which is hashtag XOQ, which is, which is our UGC program. And we launched the site with it. We built it ourselves. We launched a site with it. And I will tell you that for maybe the first year, it was like, no one was home. Uh. <laughs> I mean, we were talking about XOQ all over the place and we would sort of have conversations internally going, do you think someday anyone's ever going to <laughs> do this? And then it took off. It just took off and it just was a question of sort of, you know, supporting it. And we started to have critical mass so that enough customers saw enough other customers doing yeah. it. And I'm, yeah, I'm sure just user behavior across the board, it's become so normalized. Like when you're talking, yeah. if you're talking like 2013, 2014, people might be like, well, but no, everyone yeah, does that. Everyone does that. <laughs> um, and we we started to hear from our customers before I make a purchase, I always look at XOQ. I go to your XOQ wall on the site mm-hmm. and we have it on our homepage and then we have it on sort of our content hub. And I look at it to see what it's going to look like on my body type, but I also look for styling ideas. And so the body the body shape made a lot of uh, sense to us or height differentials or proportion differentials, but the 
the fact that she was looking at it as styling content mm-hmm. to give her ideas was an uh, another aha moment for us where we thought, wait a second, this customer's got virtually no visual aspirational content. Right. right? There's no Vogue for this for the plus size woman. Right. Um, and many of our customers read Vogue and have told us they read Vogue, but it's not really actionable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was one of the reasons that we actually got into to catalogs mm-hmm. was to to produce hopefully hopefully what we think maybe maybe we're egomaniacs but <laughs> beautiful uh, content that ho- hopefully inspires and also educates the customer on you know gives her ideas on different ways to wear things so so it's print print material yeah, it's mailers. 30 pages yeah. of print it's a 30 page <laughs> catalog <laughs> so why did you do that and not just like a, a content blog online we do both okay we do both <laughs> and i'll tell you you know everything as I'm sure you know, you hear over and over again, test and iterate, test and fail, fail fast, learn. So for us, when we did our first catalog, it was the fall of 2015, um, and it was a test. And mm-hmm. I remember having a board meeting, and one of our investors had recommended, in addition to the sort of learnings that we were having of customers saying, I want to see more styling, I want to see more visuals, right. an investor had recommended it, and I thought, good Lord, this is going to be an expensive test. Mm-hmm. But it was hugely, from a from a financial perspective, it was hugely successful. And people and are ordering through the catalog, or how does it? They just go straight to the site. site. It, literally, the day that the catalog drops um, and starts to hit houses, we see just increased traffic, mm-hmm. and you know, it's like a ghost appears. Yeah, it's like this most wonderful ghost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what's happening? You're like, oh yeah, the catalog. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then when it goes away, you get really sad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we hear customers say that they. They feel like it's our Eloquy magazine, uh-huh. and we've made it more editorial over time. Now we include customer stories. Oh, that's interesting in the in the, mag- in the catalog. Um, so they have that, like you know, they can touch it, they can feel it. Um, and you guys are also going into stores now too yeah. through test. They're they're all test stores for now, right? Well, ish semi <laughs> semi test the flexible lease. That's, that's yeah. hot right now. Yeah, the the, the thank you landlords. Um, yeah. So we tested our first store in Washington, D.C. We opened it in March, and it was supposed to close at the end of May. Mm-hmm. It's June 29th. We're still open. Um, so it's done really well. Mm-hmm. And both from a, you know, the goal was for wall profitability. The goal was for wall profitability from a financial perspective. And then from a customer perspective, she had just been asking for stores right. over and over and over. And we finally felt like we had, as a company, enough bandwidth to try to do it the right way. Because for our customer, you know, kind of doing the, we just didn't feel like we could get away with doing like what many pop-ups do, which is the white walls and you just throw some racks in there and mm-hmm. it's kind of cool and industrial. We knew we had to make it more of a fashion experience for her mm-hmm. because it's what she hadn't had. Um, so... But based on the fact that the store has been doing really well and the customers have been so wonderful and the feedback's been fantastic, we are extending that for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And then we are opening a store in Chicago, uh, temporary, but a year long mm-hmm. for, let's see, in mid-August. And then we're going to actually be opening uh, a temporary store, a pop-up, just four months 
in our backyard in Columbus. So there's a great center called Easton Center, which has like an Apple and a Tesla and this huge Zara that's opening and Uh also has an L.L. Bean. That's just my favorite fact. (laughs) It actually has an L.L. Bean. Uh, So we'll be opening that in the middle of September Mm -hmm. and then probably a couple more next year. So it's big. It's a big, yeah, it's a big space for you guys. And, And so how do you... You know, I think what's really fascinating when we're talking to any online brand that that is now saying there's clearly value to be made in the in-store experience, and now we have the tools and the ability to do it without signing a 20-year lease and mm-hmm. having it be a huge down payment. How did you put it together when you had a blank slate and this like entirely new experience to to build out? Well, I think we actually specifically looked for spaces that weren't a blank space. Oh, really? Um, yeah, we did not because it's more expensive. So we actually oh, specifically <laughs> look for, uh, especially in the phase of testing, uh-huh. before you're like done, sold, let's roll out 25. Right. Um, we actually look for spaces that specifically already have decent-sized dressing rooms mm-hmm. built. Okay. So well, that we don't I'm have sure to... there's plenty of open retail stores now. <laughs> there's There's been some optionality. Yeah. There's been some optionality. <laughs> but, you know, and, and we're lucky that many of the people on the team have done stores before. So a lot of those operational building blocks, mm-hmm. we already sort of had well, relatively well in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was interesting to go into the space and say, all right, what do we want the customer to see? Right. What do we want her to experience? And did you want her to feel like this is a digital brand? Like this is a new, this is a modern store experience because they're not a traditional retailer. A hundred percent. In fact, when we did customer focus groups, I remember one customer said, I want your store to look slick like your site. And we all walked away going, what did you mean yeah, by that? Like, how what, do I do that? How are we going to make, like, <laughs> we don't want anyone to trip. Yeah. Um, so, so we wanted it to look, you know, modern, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's a store. So we're not of the mindset of putting magic mirrors in the dressing room Okay. or making it too tricked out so it's about the tricks right. versus about the clothing or when you come in or the experience yeah and you're looking at it on an iPad and having that like touch screen experience where it's like but they come right in to like feel the clothes and, not- to, <laughs> and to honestly to get service uh-huh. to really get high touch service mm-hmm. you know we're still human right so the kind Allegedly. of service that you get in a store you could never really get online. You know, someone running to get you champagne or mm-hmm. to take your bags and put them in the back while they set up a dressing room and that the store associate is actually flipping through the iPad for you on your right. behalf saying, we don't have this size in the store. You know what? We're going to ship it to you for free. It'll mm-hmm. be there in two days, Yeah, et cetera, et cetera. So I think a lot of it is about that high touch service. Mm-hmm. That's what I. I mean, personally, that's what I like. In yeah, store. absolutely, and and just sort of bringing that positive attitude when when you get it in the store, that sort of builds the relationship with the online store as well. I'm sure. Yeah, we're we're seeing. I mean, it's it's such a cliche. So, but cliches are cliches because they're generally truths. Uh-huh. Um, but we just did a look back at customers who had who we acquired for the first time, who shopped with us for the first time in-store mm-hmm. and then went on to shop either in st- again in-store or online. And they are by far our best customers. I mean, they are like the omni-channel customers, the right. best customer. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> for us as <laughs> yes. well. Verified. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
and and so obviously on on the customer side, there's there's a clear benefit of having the store. But for for you guys, like, what did you go in thinking that you would learn from the customer um, behavior in the stores, and 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 how did you sort of come away with being like, this is a new channel, this is a new like we're gonna learn things that maybe online yeah. like you don't really you don't really get. Um, you know, how did you account for this new, um, you know, inflow of of customer behavior and information? Uh, I think we were we were looking for how much is she going to return? Is she going to bring her online returns in? Mm. Answer yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, is she? And she did it day one. Yeah. Literally the day we opened, I mean, we had someone easiest. who yeah. brought in an online an item for, she bought online. She wanted to return. Uh-huh. Um, number two, we were curious to see if she would take to the idea of showrooming, mm-hmm. right? So that we had a couple of racks in our store where they could try you know any size on, but it would be shipped to them. She did not like that. Mm. So that because you're going into the store, you kind of want to leave with something. I think, especially for this customer, uh-huh. she she said, "No, I want to wear this tonight." Because she's probably used to being in an American Eagle and being told, "Like, I have this online." Exactly. Oh, I'm already in the store, and I have to go shop online. That's exactly right. <laughs> no, I mean that's the whole point. If you try it on and you love it, I mean, we'll offer. We'll always offer to ship it if they don't want to carry the stuff around the mall or the street or whatever. But. Mm-hmm. Right now, our customers like I am taking this with me. Mm-hmm. So that was a test. We wanted to test day one whether or not she wanted to have sale in the store. Yeah, right. Um, she did. Yeah, like sale she, items. Yeah, day one. Where's your sale rack? Mm. Right? I think that's just like a common thing when you walk into a store. You just expect that there's going to be a sale rack. Right. Um, and then we also tested density of product, uh-huh. which you know. When we looked at the space, we actually took fixtures out and removed them from the store and added a couple of seating areas because we wanted to make it feel spacious and you know pretty, mm-hmm. like chic. Mm-hmm. And was was that going to work from a financial perspective? And the answer is, you know, so far it looks like taking fixtures out was okay, and mm-hmm. you know, customers really appreciate. I mean, do, if you're tired and you've been walking around all day. You come into a through. store and you can just like kick back. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's crammed, sometimes you're just overwhelmed. And especially because people now going into the store understand that it's more to get a feel of the brand and, and you can shop the whole selection online. Yeah. But although, yes, I mean, I think it, we are surprised. So we have iPads throughout the store where, uh-huh. where customers and store and the associates who work in the store if we're out of something or if she has seen something online, she thought it was in store and it's not, we'll ship it to her for free in two days, right? And those sales are a bigger percentage of our store revenue than we anticipated. Uh We thought that they would be like kind of low single digits and they're double digits. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely getting more usage. But she's really coming into the store and buying in the store. Like Mm -hmm. our conversion in store is 25% which is extremely high. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're actually not seeing at this stage kind of looky-loos who then leave and go. I mean, they probably do right? because that's what we're seeing in the retention data. Yeah. But she's actually really shopping in the store mm-hmm. and taking it with her. And so from for you guys, how does that... What does that teach you about the, the individual products themselves? Like, are you able to like look at one piece that's like new and, and test it out in the store before investing in it a bunch and like and that type of customer data I think is becoming really valuable for yeah. for brands and and, and sort of because I feel like the speed is just top of mind for everyone and having that in real life proof of like how something performs gives you that ability to sort of react accordingly. Yeah I think I don't think we've so we do that online all the time mm-hmm. right like we 
have a waitlist function. We, as soon as we have a, an asset of something, a, an image of something that's new, we pop it up on the site and we start taking waitlist data from our customers and or waitlist from our customers. That becomes incredibly valuable data to us as to whether or not that style is going to perform on the on the site or not. Right, and that allows us to be smarter about inventory planning. Mm-hmm. In store, uh, we don't have that speed of data yet. But I think what's been interesting is that some of the things that are not working online work in store. Some of the things that don't work in store totally work online. And that could just be DC, right? Like we've got a sample size of uh, one. Right. So let's, <laughs> we've got a level set on that. And DC for us is absolutely a where to work customer. Mm-hmm. And so she loves the trend, but she's absolutely loving some of the more key items. Mm-hmm. Whereas on our site, the trend items that are really strong sell out like that. Mm-hmm. So okay. I think we're curious to see how different markets perform. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, great. Well, we're almost out of time, but you know, just to just to wrap up, what are, where do you? You guys are opening stores, um, mm-hmm. and you're obviously you know growing in this market. Where do you see it? Any other growth opportunities in the, over the next few years, specifically for for this for this space? Um, do you think that there's going to be increased competition? Like, how do you sort of you know, see if you're like charting the path versus like sort of keeping up with the competition. Uh, I'm going to be bold. <laughs> I think we are charting the path. Uh-huh. I hope there is increased competition because it benefits the customer right. and this customer deserves it. Um, and then I think when we look at, you know, where the opportunity is in the space, there's tons of opportunity everywhere. But I would say that in addition to producing merchandise, mm-hmm. Um, there needs to be the development of more sort of systemic industry infrastructure right. for the fashion industry for this customer. So we need players um, in who are currently in the fashion space to come and make sure that they're building for this customer right. as well. And I mean, we have technology now. I feel like there should be a way to solve that, um, the sizing issue that you were mentioning and, and that type of thing. And mm-hmm. You know, I well, well, hopefully people are working on that right now. Exactly. That's <laughs> I'm sure, right. I'm sure someone is. Uh, well, thank you so much, Mariah, Thanks, for joining Hillary. us. Uh, Appreciate thank, it. Yeah, of course. Um, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. And in the meantime, be sure to follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play and leave us any feedback you have.